James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm tired. I had my Christmas party last night, so my voice might sound a little deeper because I may have consumed a few drinks. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was in bed at a reasonable time, so it's, it's all good. Well, that's good to see you looking after yourself. <laughs> I am perhaps maturing. I don't think anyone would call me mature, but I, I'd like to think I'm less immature than I was in the past. Oh, well, it's all about the journey and not the destination. Right. Um, so today we're talking about Chapter 5 of Wave But Wise, The Story of Us, which is called The Mute Button. Um, but as usual, we'll just go on some meandering chat. <laughs> um, and so one of the things I sort of thought from here is just when I look back on myself sometimes, um, I, I cringe. And, and I'll think of some of the things that I said and just be like, you were so ignorant. Um, and it's just, it's just I don't know if, if you feel this way, James, but basically I really, really just didn't know much, but I thought I knew stuff. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> a 22-year-old Duncan. Honestly, I, I don't think I would have liked spending time with him. You spent time with me at the time, so we were friends. What was I yeah. like? Yeah, well, honestly, you would have to ask 22-year-old James that question because 35-year-old James can also agree that I don't know why I would be spending time with such a person either. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, like, well, just like trying to, you know, visualize uh, this notion. Like, if you can imagine 22-year-old Duncan and James walking down the street or like, <coughs> if, you know, Will crossing paths, we would probably want to steer as well clear from those two individuals as possible. Yeah. I remember they were like saying, they think about lowering the voting age. And I'm like, honestly, it's 18 in Australia. I, I don't think I had any idea what I was voting for when I was 20. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I think I have some now, or at least now I, I don't know. Like, So um, what Ed Rollo is in education. And I read the education policy of both parties in the recent electric, uh, uh, federal election. And then I read two critiques of it. One from a left-leaning think tank and one from a right-leaning think tank. And I didn't understand the education policy. So I tried, right? I read the, I read the friggin' 10-page documents and then I read critiques of it and then I wrote about it and I'm like, uh, I don't know which one I like. Like, and so, that you know, there are two types of people. Those that don't know and those that know they don't know. I tried to know. I'm like, look, I don't think I can know about every part of policy, but I think I should try to learn about the education one. And at the end of it, I was just confused. Um and maybe that says more about me <laughs> and perhaps my lack of ability to do any, to any kind of comprehending. But yeah. in the past, you'd be like, someone so says one line and you're like, oh, yeah, I like their education policy better. I'm like, that's ridiculous, Duncan. But yeah. literally, well, it was like 20-year-old Duncan was like, well, they say, I don't know, we're going to do this funding. I'm like, yeah, them. I'm like, it's a little more complicated than that. Is my two cents. <laughs> well, my faith in you running a education company is unwavering, Duncan. But... <laughs> <laughs> But I, like, to your original point, um, looking back, yes, uh, I would share the same sentiment. But I try to look at it more in the light of, in the lens of, I look back on myself and I laugh. Yeah, like, there, there are so many things that I wouldn't do or necessarily say or wear, Swarovski crystal tops included. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, that I would today. But that's part of the journey. As a, oh, there you go, t- tying that back in. Um, <laughs> Uh, because if I can't look back on myself and laugh, then I can't confidently uh, say that I've grown or that I've learned much. Uh, because there are certain things that I think are part of the process in terms of us trying things out, experimenting, if you will, uh, and behaving, thinking and acting in certain ways. And I, I think this this last year alone has been another, uh, you know, fundamental shift in how I think about and approach uh, things. And even a year ago, I think to myself like, wow, you naive individual. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly feel that like I learn as much each year as all of my previous years put together. And so part of this is mainly because knowledge is three dimensional. So, but basically means you learn a new thing and you can attach it onto all the things that you've learned in the past. So the more, you know, the more value each new unit of knowledge can have. And so I won't double the amount of stuff I know, as in facts, but I'll be able to like join those things onto other stuff. So it kind of compounds massively. But I think maybe the first sort of point here from this blog was the idea spectrum. Um, And so I think there has been two separate categories. Facts, today is Friday. Idea, how to spend your Friday well. Fact, coffee costs $4. Idea, how to make the best coffee. 
And I didn't used to think of things in a spectrum. And I'm kind of like, if you aren't thinking of everything in a spectrum, then you're probably an ideologue or you're not open. Um, so one of the ones which Tim sort of has here is tax policy. Um, and so one end might be all wages are provided and collected by the government. And the other end is there's no taxes at all. Um, and then there's sort of some middle level stuff. And so for me, I didn't used to think like this at all. I used to just be like, I don't know, climate change, bad, you know, bad. We therefore must have a carbon tax or that that was it. Like, mm. you know, th there wasn't any sort of a bit, a, a attempt to spectrumize, if you want to call that things. <laughs> so, so now, um, you know, the, the, the work to have an opinion, you must be able to argue the other side better than they can before you have the right to hold an opinion. That's Charlie Munger. And so 22 year old Duncan did not know about spectrums, just picked arbitrarily something that he felt was right and then would walk around telling other people that his opinion was good one. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, now it's like, if you can't, if you don't know what the spectrum is, you don't, don't even begin to like discuss it with people. Or the first thing you do is to try to say, what is the spectrum? Like, what are the, all the different possible views? And that's what I try to do now. There's another way I think silly, yeah, dumb, dumb, 22 year old Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, uh, like just, just distilling between what is a fact and what is an idea or what is a objective, versus subjective opinion mm. uh, is something that I don't I, I, I do not do well enough and just by expressing or thinking on a certain concept just taking the first step to say like what are we contending with here or can we break it down into what are knowns and what are um, what are theoretical is it, it, something that I don't think um, happens nearly enough at least in the way I um, move my moves through the world and mm. uh, and that goes to the next level, which is what you kind of touched on, which is like for a large part of my life, I'm pretty sure subconsciously I was very binary in my thinking. Like yeah. it's either this or that. It's either yes yeah. or no. Yeah. It's yeah. either left or right or whatever you want to um, pull it. But what I really, really loved about this particular article is that, well, unless it's something that is grounded in scientific fact or, you know, like is it Friday today? Well, yes it is or no it's not then you can pretty much put a spectrum across it and so i should actually um clarify that point so what tim said was that even if it is a fact or if it's arguably a fact you can have a spectrum of level of certainty which i thought was also really good because that's something that i definitely do not tap into uh well enough at all mm. yeah i think school artificially teaches you there's a right and a wrong so they have to give grades um, mm. and exams, etc. And so as part of this, it's like, yeah, you, you want to get 100%. So, so there is an interpretation or something. Um, but for most things that are worth discussing, like, it, I don't think James and I are going to discuss, is it Friday? No, it's not Friday. It's Thursday or something. You know, it's How certain Friday. are you? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you know, so the things that are worth discussing are typically ideas where there is a range of possible interpretations, right? Mm. Mm. And... This is not, I think, how school teaches you. School says there's a right and a wrong and you should try to defend. And then there's things like debating at school where one side gets crowned victor. Um, and so for me, I think it's very different. There is only an evolving thought of an idea. So if you want mm -hmm. to take economics as an example, the spectrum. So on one end, you might have demand side economics and one end you have supply side economics. Demand is like Keynesianism and, and supply side is like Freeman, laissez-faire, trickle-down economics, right? Um, both of them say that they want to grow the economy. One says you do that by cutting taxes on companies and then they invest more and then the economy grows. And the other one says that you do it by the government spending money and then they invest in something and then the economy grows. So they've got the both same outcome, but two totally different approaches or they've got the same goal, right? And so I didn't, I didn't have any understanding of that economic political or that economic spectrum when I was 20. And so as far as I'm concerned, that exists everywhere. And but I think instead of they're trying to be right or wrong, I used to try to think, what's my view? Now I'm just trying to think about how to update my view because mm. I basically assume that it's always wrong or that I'm always going to update it somehow. And so I'm not trying to figure out what I think. I'm trying to figure out how to evolve my thoughts. Yeah, so like while we're on the topic of schooling, uh, it was also not just about that you had the right or wrong answer. It's like how you got to that answer was also, um, I found to be quite... Um, one-dimensional like you can probably we can all think back on uh you know every math problem like you have to show you're working 
And if you, even if you showed you're working, if it wasn't um, through the, the particular way that you were taught, then you don't get your full marks for that particular question. Uh, and the same with English. Like they, they say when they're grading your paper, they actually look for like five um, points that you've made and you have to make them in the right particular way. Um, but I think this is all um, you know, central to this idea that you and I are talking about now, that everything, it, that there is no, well, it doesn't lend any uh, credence for us to think about things in one particular way when there is an entire spectrum that we can contend with. And so this is why I like um, the mute button article so much because it takes you outside of your own head and it says, well, what is the collective thinking of a group or an entire country? And you can visualize that by a typical histogram where if you've got a spectrum of any idea, you know, whether it be political, religious, or um, sociological, you can put every single person at a single bullet point across that spectrum, and then you get this, uh, this distribution of what people's opinions on that idea is. And it's a really, really powerful way of thinking, well, I'm just one person on that spectrum. I have one particular view, but there are people who are all the way across it. And so instead of me being in contrast to those other views, I have something to gain from learning about other people's views as well. Yeah, um, so I think one now I attempt, and I don't do this all the time, to try to think of anything in a spectrum. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I so, so it's not like, oh, what is the answer? I'm like, first of all, try to put it into at least a continuum, a spectrum, right? Sometimes it might be two axes, not just one, right? Um, so one of the ones sort of more recently, um, it was illegal to be a homosexual in the 50s, and now we have same-sex marriage. Um, and so... Society's views have changed on this. There was a spectrum like people think it's bad and people, you know, other people think it's fine. Um, and so for me, it's really important that now I try to constantly look to update my views. So I'm not trying to figure out what it is and then doing confirmation bias to find anything that aligns with that and then ignoring all the other stuff. I'm trying to constantly update my view on something. Um, and that's really, really good fun. So James told me this quote, which I don't like that man, I must get to know him better, which is Lincoln. Um, and so now you don't learn anything from people who agree with you, but you learn from people who have a different point of view. But you don't learn if you go in there and you have word, you know, combat, and at the end of it, someone's bloodied and bruised, or both of you are, and you're, you don't like the other person. <laughs> um, so to me, <laughs> you're going to hopefully learn during your life and therefore change your mind on lots of stuff. So I want to change my mind when it makes sense. And I, want, I don't want to, you know, have this static view. And so it's just an upside down. Don't, oh, what do I think now? Try to prove that I'm right and show others that they're wrong and whatever. It's just like, try to update, Duncan. Try to update, Duncan. <laughs> um, it goes back to the, the higher mind and the lower mind, right? Uh, at any point in time, um, like, we have an ego that seeks confirmation. And so we, like, you could, you could say one way of looking at it is that we're always think that the beliefs that we hold are right. Like, I, I don't think it would make sense if I was walking around not believing the only things that I think. Oh it's but so the, true. But, it's but the point I'm, you, you point I'm right. making it, you do. You know what? Do you remember, have you ever thought you're wrong? Like you've held a view and you're like, yeah, good one. I'm right. <laughs> do, you know how, do you know how ridiculous that concept is? It, it like, is ridiculous. It's just amazing. You think, about... you think you, I don't know if I've ever had a view where I thought I was wrong. Why would I have had it, right? But now when I look back on it, every view has not, almost all of them have changed. Like what, I, what I used to think was a yeah. good job was, a high paying job, now I don't care. Yeah. I used to think that I must have kids. Now I don't think I have to have kids. I used to think, you know, many things. Like I've changed my mind on almost everything. But yeah. at every point, I, I think I'm right. <laughs> but that's the point I'm trying to make is that all we have to do is put ourselves along a time continuum and look back and think, oh my God, I thought this at this particular time. Mm. How ignorant was I to think those kind of things? And mm. so it's, it's in any present moment, we're always agreeing with ourselves, right? <laughs> Unless you, you have a special, um, you know, uh, thing where you're schizophrenic or something like that. Um, but when we're putting ourselves along a timeline, we can very comfortably disagree with ourselves. Mm. So the idea then is to why not push that forward into the future where we mm. can anticipate our future selves will disagree with ourselves today. 
This is, I really like that. You, you think you're right until you change your mind when you're also right. So you're basically in a perpetual state of being right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, when you change your mind, you're smart. Um, you know? And when you have a view, you're smart because you're right. Um, so effectively, you're just smart and right. <laughs> this is my life. God. So uh, we're not good people. Um, so there's another quote that I like from Charlie Munger a lot, which is any year you don't destroy a core belief is a year wasted. Um, and so I think that you want to have variable values. So no values doesn't make sense. But values that never change under any circumstances also don't make sense. Mm. So it's like, uh, uh, damn it. Now I have to have values that change. Like, yeah, when and how? I don't know. Right? Um, and so this is a sort of phase shift. Um, I think I've sort of changed from being right, not like there is a right view. That's what I used to think when I was 22. But now what I think is right, quote unquote, is that I'm constantly looking to update. And what makes me happy is when I find a way to update my view, not find a way that has shown that my view is right. Uh, confirmation bias. So I think I've shifted the story um, seismically. I wanted to learn and I wanted to know the, you know, things. And now I realize that learning is not that you can't know, do you know what I mean? Whereas before, I thought you could. And so, I, whilst I thought it was funny, like, yeah, yeah I thought 22 Duncan was right about something. It, it's all the opposite now. I, the only thing you can be right about is being wrong. The only thing you can be right about is that you will change your mind and need to change your mind on ideas. And that was, that was just the, not something that 22-year-old Duncan had any concept of. So, so let me get this straight. We always think we're right, yeah. but the only thing that we're right about is the fact that we're wrong. Correct. The only thing you're right about is being wrong. Yeah, I like that. Nailed it. I really like your other, um, um, your other quote. I don't know if it's yours, Duncan, or you got it from somewhere, but all ideas are wrong until proven otherwise, um, which is kind of a, a good way of just making you humble in anything that you're trying to contend with in any uh, point in time. But uh, this, this notion, though, uh, and we've spoken about it a, a, a while ago as well, that um, when we're talking about the human mind is not actually entirely rational, like spoiler alert. Um, and Tim Urban talks about it in the distinction between the lower and higher minds and that the lower mind seeks confirmation, not, not what is true, but confirming its own belief because that has been what... Uh, what has turned out to be the most powerful notion of ensuring your survival, right? By confirming your beliefs, you then find yourself belonging to a wider group or a tribe that would then be able to have a lot more, a lot higher chance of surviving, uh, you know, in a world where you were subject to nature. Mm. However, we now seem to be in a new world where the survival mindset is no longer the primary, um, I guess, operating system. Uh, and as, as you mentioned in a previous episode, we've now flipped the switch where we now are in control of nature. But And so what should, well, what we could then reasonably suppose that the new survival uh, formula is learning, not confirming. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> The problem is, or what I find to be the problem, is that our minds are still very much operating on the survival uh, uh, module when we're not aware of it. So, and and it's, it's so true, Duncan, because like you and I will be talking and we'll be saying things, and we're like, we are enlightened beings and we're learning from each other. But all it takes is for one of us to say something stupid, and the other person is like, oh my god, that's just wrong. Like, <laughs> and so it's really hard to stay in that mindset all the time. Yeah, so this is called the mute button, um, and part of it's talking about how in a totalitarian state or some states, they are trying to suppress certain types of discussion. So if mm. there's an idea spectrum from the the head of the state, Xi Jinping is good, to Xi Jinping is bad, well, Xi Jinping doesn't want people saying Xi Jinping is bad, so he blocks that on the internet, you know? Um, and so for me, I think ultimately you've got to realise that... Well, you know, hopefully the future is better than today. And for that to be the case, the future will be different than today. And that you need people to help you make it different. And so the, the, the whole concept of not having dissenting voices is actually counterproductive. So I think fundamentally, if you're just trying to constantly upgrade your views on ideas, you need people that have different views. 
Mm. Otherwise, you can't do that. So to me, not only do you not want the mute button, you kind of want as much free discourse as possible. The only sort of thing I would say is there's safe and unsafe discourse. So safe is not you agree. Um, it, it can hopefully be what they call loyal opposition. Um, but, you know, it's if you get to the point where it's combative and then, then you weaponize people. So people that can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Um, and that so there is some sort of speech which, you know, I don't know, get people to become radicalized and become, you know, white supremacists or ISIS or, you know, commit an act of terrorism or, or something, which is not great. Um, but otherwise, you kind of want to be having as much of it as possible. And so there's this weirdness. Not only do you not want the mute button, you want the opposite of it. You want to welcome as much, just, you know, other viewpoints as possible, in my opinion. Mm. Mm, mm. So, um, so this is where we look at this distinction between the power games, where in the past, um, from what I've taken from Tim's uh, writing, is that you would have dictators who did want to control the narrative by using things like the mute button. So the mute button is effectively the way in which you control what is being said in the wider society and the wider populace. And so as a dictator, you want only positive things being said about you so that you can maintain your control over that population because you acquired that control through power. Whereas in the value games, it's a very different model. And so what I think Tim does very well to help distinguish between that is that you have this thought pile. So you think of an idea and there's a spectrum along the idea. Most, of, most people's thoughts kind of bunch up towards the middle. But then you've got this what he calls the speech curve. And so the speech curve is basically what is being talked about at certain levels of communication. Think about the lowest level of one-on-one -on -one, um, conversations and the highest level being the, the, the mass communication um, channels like mass media, newspapers, etc., etc. In a well-functioning society, what he says happens is that you have a evenly distributed thought pile, but then you have a evenly distributed speech curve that sits on top of that thought pile. So in the sense of where you see um, more autocratic behavior like Xi Jinping wanting to mute any dissent, the speech curve suddenly shifts way toward the, the side where he only wants conversations about how good the Communist Party is as opposed to what the true reflection or what the true thinking ac across the country actually is. Yeah, I, I like this distinction. Um, so um, one of my favorite leaders of the 20th century is Lee Kuan Yew, who was um, prime minister of Singapore for 30 or 40 years. Um, and I think that he kind of had the opposite approach of Xi Jinping. Um, what I mean by that is, is that he was setting up, I would, I would consider it to be a liberal democracy with a well-functioning you know, um, media system. And he was an incredible communicator, but he would talk about things that he got right and wrong. And what he did is he, in my opinion, built trust with the Singaporean people. And so he was able to do more and more things. Not everything worked out. And he talked openly about things that they did wrong and that they should change. And so what he was doing, I think, is kind of leveling up the Singaporean people. They were thinking more, they were understanding, they were getting involved, you know, and he had then huge amounts of trust. They went from very, very poor, um, you know, country when they seceded from the British Empire to now the highest income per capita in the world. Um, and so he got a hell of a lot of stuff right. <laughs> um, where and so very well functioning. They liked him, um, you know, and he was effectively sort of in power until he decided to retire. Um, and this is sort of the same outcome, I think, which was Xi Jinping wants to be in power and he wants to do things, but instead of him having some kind of honest conversation about what's right or wrong. He says that he is the reason that everything is good and the Communist Party is good and that anyone that says anything bad, it's like blocked or they're locked up. And so for me, it's kind of the same outcome, but with a totally different strategy. And mm -hmm. I think fundamentally a worse strategy because you are going to have holes in your thought. And if people don't help you find them, you'll find out some way. But when you crash the economy or when someone stabs a knife in your back, you know, um, and so to me, I think to be able to think that you would be able to be better by yourself than with good help is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and so to me, it's really, really you know, interesting. It's like 
you, I, I think they've, they've got, you know, Lee Kuan Yew had huge amounts of power. You know, he, people would trust him to do things, but he earned it and it was valid, whereas the other one is kind of subversive. It's kind of like what they did with, you know, the Kims in North Korea, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's the same thing, but totally opposite almost. Yeah, well, I think it, it, it comes down to the nature of the relationship you have with power. Uh, I, I think if, if we can take um, as a given for just a moment, let's just assume that everyone has the same goal. And this goal could be something like the future prosperity of all the people within your country. I think I think that would be even reasonable for any like like let's just assume that that's also Trump's goal like <laughs> for a minute, um, but like you said, there are people who go about it in a very different way or they have very different strategies. You can be someone who speaks to a particular ideology which is that can only be achieved through power, and I and I think that's kind of what you know the people like the Trumps of the world who said I alone can fix it. <laughs> Is, is what they're speaking to. Um, but more liberal examples like the one you just gave in Singapore, Duncan, is talking about, well, we all know that we want to head in this same direction together, but no one person knows how to get there. So let's all accept that we're going to come up with a lot of great ideas, but a lot of them will also be not so great ideas. And I think what happens is if anyone is trying to run... Uh, any institution on the reformer where it's all through power, where it's all through one person control, then they put themselves in a position where they can't be wrong because that goes completely uh, contrary to the message that they've been conveying. Mm. Um, so I think in something like physics, there is always going to be new generations of thought. So there was Newtonian physics, then there was relativity, then there's quantum mechanics and there's string theory. So even in something like a hard science where they're representing the physical world, they have continually new, you know, um, sort of upgraded thoughts. So I therefore believe that everything, like how do you run a country, how do you think about economics, how do you think about education, how do you think about your relationships with others, can be upgraded. Like there's nothing that can't be indefinitely upgraded. Okay, therefore, reasonable people can have different opinions about how to upgrade it. It's not that there's one definitely right way. There are multiple sort of ways. And so what this means is that there will be people that have different points of opinion to you. And you will always have opposition. You have two choices, loyal opposition or disloyal opposition. Loyal opposition will talk to you and tell you about why they have a different point of view and help you maybe understand why you're wrong and can update something. Disloyal opposition won't and they'll go around undermining you or they won't tell you and then you'll just be driving straight towards a metaphorical brick wall and you'll smash into it. <laughs> so to me, if everything can be updated, then others who are helping you, I, aka loyal opposition, is a massive positive thing that you need to foster. So good leaders foster loyal opposition. There's always opposition. It's just a question of whether it's disloyal or loyal. If disloyal, it goes underground and do things and then you have a totalitarian state where they can, you know, thought crime. If you, you think something bad against Xi Jinping, if they see in your head, then you go to jail, you know? But if you say something bad to somebody on the internet, it's go to jail time. Um, so to me, um, it's crucially important that you have loyal opposition because everything can be updated and needs to be. And that if you do not have people saying where that you can, you know, whatever they think, you're going to be much worse than if it was just you by yourself. Mm, mm. So here's a question for you, Duncan. Mm. When did... The, the German Nobel Prize winning physicist say... Which German the, Nobel Prize was he? Uh, well, his name is Albert um, Mitchelson, but that might give it away for you. Uh -huh. But he's, he, he quoted, the more important fundamental laws and facts of physical science have all been discovered. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. I remember reading this. Someone in the early 1900s said that by the late 1900s, all inventions would be invented and there'd be nothing else left to invent. Yeah. And I remember growing up thinking that that actually might be the case and that they would, and now, in, you know, innovation's accelerating. Um, so I, I, I've now fundamentally believed that it's in, there will always be more stuff to invent. I don't know. I'm going to say 1800s. Well, in the early 1900s. <laughs> yes, I got a hold of me. <laughs> so, yeah. But that, that goes to your first point about how even when we're dealing with what we suspect to be very much concrete, evidence-based um, you know, logic, it, 
like we might think that we know everything we need to know, but we are, um, what, what we find is quite regularly, we are disproving old uh, notions. We are updating our understanding of the world, the universe and everything in it. Um, but like to go back to your other point, what we, so, 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 um, people like um, who set up the kind of more liberal societies are going against almost everything. I, like from from my observation, because you think about school, right? We're, we're taught that you need to be right, you know, based on um, what we we're saying earlier. It's like you, you know, you you have exams, you have tests, and your objective is to get as many answers correct as possible, right? So we already, from an early stage through nurturing, are taught to value this idea that we need to be right as much as possible. You couple that with the more uh, survival-based instinct that what we need to do is to reaffirm and reinforce any preconceived notion that we hold you have almost this kind of dualistic notion that to be right is to be is is, is what um you need to survive and it's the and it's the best way to move through the world and so for these people to start coming you know popping up whether it's the founding fathers or just um i've already forgotten his name lee coon or something <laughs> no, 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 lee coon lee kuan yu oh dude lee coon this is not lee good <laughs> aside from the fact that, that that second word is perhaps a racial slur um <laughs> No, or, 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 or how can you? He's one of the most, in, in my opinion, famous people of the 20th century, and also one of the best. If you yeah, haven't yeah, read yeah. a Lee Kuan Yew biography, you should um, listen to him talking. He died a few years ago, I think 2013, 2014. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, on YouTube or something, the man is 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 a legit. Uh, just comes across as like a genius to me. Like he's just so yeah. incredibly well spoken and knowledgeable. Mm. Yeah. But the, the, these models of operating that they're, they're 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 setting up almost run counter to at least, you know, speaking from an individual experience, what I've been taught how to think my entire life. Mm. So it, it's, an, it's an incredible, um, you know, river that these people are swimming against. Mm. Yeah, um, so I think if you just look at this, if a politician says one thing and then another, that's often the end of their political career. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like to think that I am capable of changing my mind on things. I have realized that so much of what I thought in the past I no longer believe, and I hope that to change heaps. Um, it took me a long while to sort of realize this. What I say is not what I believe. I used to kind of think that everything you said you believed. And I remember saying that, thinking that was hilarious. So what I say is not what I believe, because people think, of course, you say what you say is what you believe. For me, most of what I say is thought exploration. I'm just trying to understand and learn more. And some of it is sort of what I believe, but then even if it was, it's for that moment, you know, and it will hopefully change. And also everything works somewhere, nothing works everywhere. So it might be that this is then extrapolated into a belief that is a place where it doesn't really fit. And so for me, we are taught by school, you know, we're taught that politicians, if they, they say one thing and then another, they're a liar and they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, what if they happen to change their mind? That's fine, <laughs> you know, but this is not allowed. And also that everything you say you believe, not, well, hey, I'm just going to bandy this around. What do you think about that? And so, uh, yeah, I, I think society does a lot of that indoctrination and I don't think it's useful. I think it's um, detrimental often. Mm, mm, well, like taking this as a point of cognitive dissonance, no idea is your own. Like if, if you think about everything that we hold in our, in, in our thoughts, like we pick that up from somewhere. And so, like, sorry, I, I should be espousing this as my own particular opinion, so maybe this isn't my own idea either. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm getting to there is, um, like, so often is it that when, you know, at least in the past, having a conversation or problem solving and trying to express a, a particular opinion or idea, how subconsciously I tie my own self-worth to that idea because I think it's mine. But really, mm. what the, the, um, I think it was Plato who argued that the, our ideas can exist external of our um, of our minds. And they have their own, uh, I guess, kind of life that they move through the world in. And all you are doing is that you are a carrier of that idea. And it's kind of similar to what um, Tim Urban was saying in one of the earlier chapters. Like all the genes care about is that you are able to, to carry the gene on to the next generation. And then in the further blog, he was saying that, well, the biggest carrier um 
is speech because the speech is able to carry stories from one person to another. So we don't truly, um, like at least I don't truly appreciate how much of what it is that I share on a daily basis is actually you know, something that I uniquely devised on my own versus something that I just simply may have synthesized from multiple data points and now I'm just passing it on. I think I look at it slightly differently. Um, ideas evolve. You stand on the shoulders yeah. of giants, you know, Newton. So if you're doing physics or something, maybe learn what they've already come up with and then move the game forward a bit rather than just reinventing something that somebody else has done. So there's a huge wealth of accumulated human knowledge. Um, and I hope that I will be able to move the game forward in certain areas. Um, and I'm not just relearning something somebody else has learned. It doesn't seem like a very good use of time or something figured out. So I do think that you do have your own ideas. Um, I do hope that you contribute to the human knowledge pool. Um, but most of what I do is, is evolving something from before. And so almost every single thing is just a sort of step forward, or probably two steps forward, one step back <laughs> um, from something <laughs> before. Um, and so this is really, really, really interesting and fun. And so this is kind of like, I suppose, what James and I are doing here with this podcast. It's just having a discussion about something. And we're just slowly, hopefully, learning a bit more about it. And it's really fun to just discuss these things. Um, I used to you know, catch up and like, I don't know, we just try to laugh, but we can laugh and learn. Um, and I think that's the best. And so this conversation is sort of an evolving idea as an example. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I, one of my favorite, another favorite quote from you, Duncan, I don't know where you got it from, is that we're all delusional. It's just a question of how much. Yeah, I don't and know I, if I made that one up or, anyway, I don't know. yeah, <laughs> I say that a lot. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but what I like about that is it kind of like opens us up to this, um, to this idea that, well, the best way for us to move through the world could possibly be to discuss ideas with each other because then you have someone to bounce whatever your deluded precon uh, preconceptions could be. Because if I have a thought, and I don't share it with anyone, then I have no idea whether that thought is actually a reflective of reality. But if I have a thought and I say to Duncan, like, hey, Duncan, I've, I've, you know, this is an idea or a, a thought that I have, then you can either reinforce it or you can critique it or you can outright um, go, dude, what the heck have you been, you know, thinking. <laughs> um, but I, I, what I like about it is that the, the more we put our ideas out there, the more that we can talk to other people and share thoughts and actually, um, you know, explore them, the closer we can get to what is the nature of the world without ever truly getting there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm not running a country, maybe some people are, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, one of the keys to a good life is good quality um, relationships. And I think one of the keys to a good quality relationship is good discussion. Um, and to me, discussing ideas is much better than discussing the weather or nothing or, you know, or watching TV sitting next to each other. That's not really a relationship. You just happen to be in the same room. Um, and so for me, um, leadership is, or management is telling people what to do and leadership is getting people to do something that they didn't yet know they wanted to do. And this is really, really interesting. So for me, part of this is, okay, Overton window is what is acceptable. So if I, you know, speak to James and I don't know, it's something like, you, let's do a podcast. He might not be like, no, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just hang out with you. But then it's like, well, dude, it is hanging out with me. And we get to record each other. And we then get to listen to each other back afterwards and, do, you know, learn from how we speak and our tone and everything. And it's like, oh, okay, I want to do that. But initially, it wasn't sort of in the Overton window. So I have to shift it. And so to me, this is kind of a, a sort of a little bit different here. But I think you want to discuss ideas. You want to fundamentally foster loyal opposition, i.e. people that say things that are different to you. You want to fundamentally try to update all the time. But one of the things that you're trying to do when you're having discussions with people is if you want them to get on board with your idea, e.g. what you want to do for a company strategy, you have to have it be within their Overton windows. You have to shift from where they might think, no, that's that's outside of something I think we should do. So you have to shift that Overton window. And so to me, this is a sort of another level of discussion. It's not just helping them understand. It's like helping reframe what is acceptable and what isn't is a huge, interesting and fun task. 
So overs and windows sound a lot like um, some negotiation tactic that I'm not fully. Uh, so it's is in the next um, episode, but it's a, it's a concept from someone Overton came up with it. So if you're in politics, the idea of, for instance, universal basic income is probably outside the Overton window. So it's not acceptable, right? Uh, right, um, right, right. And so there was a point where uh, universal health care oh, was yeah. outside the Overton window, um, but yeah. now it's inside in most places. Yeah. Um, and so it might be a good idea, but the public is not yet ready to embrace it because it's yeah. outside of the acceptability range. And that happens yeah. everywhere. And yeah. so to me, shifting what people have in their acceptability window um, is a core thing to being able to affect change. Mm, so ideas yeah. by themselves are great, but you want ideas or discussions to turn into some kind of actuality and change the yeah. world to be better. Yeah. Well, well, so that's the, that's the missing piece, I think, um, that really brings together this idea of what well, at the collective level, at a societal level, you have everybody's own opinions falling along a spectrum. Um, but like to use your example, Duncan, 50 years ago, something like homosexuality was very much, um, you know, not accepted in the mm. uh, in the broader community or in like was not a uh, like a majority um, uh, con- uh, concept. Um, but so the Overton window at that point in time did not have it within the realms of acceptability. But so this is where um, my understanding of what Tim was saying the power of free speech does is that it allows people who sit outside the Overton window to put ideas out there. And if this is a bad idea, it will get smashed pretty quickly. But if it's a good idea, then it will actually be able to hold its ground against any forms of dissent. Mm. And the more that happens, you know, kind of like the original Metcalf law is that it will start to pick up in other groups and it will start to spread. And as those ideas spread and it moves up the speech curve into more of the mainstream um, conversation, it shifts this Overton window until finally this idea becomes much more widely accepted in wider society. Yeah. Um, So this is um, one of the things that I donate to, say, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Um, And I don't agree with 100% of what they say. But I think that their voices are needed and that they are helping change the discussion and Mm. for instance sam harris says that he doesn't do advertising because then if he said something which was not uh, inflammatory or against whatever the company for advertising do then his livelihood's gone so he doesn't want to be needing to think about you know is this going to mean that i don't have a job or that i you know don't have any money he wants to say what he thinks is right and therefore advertising is the wrong business model for him because a number of companies but just play it safe, if you know what I mean. Um, and so I think, I don't know, I, I um, you know, work at an education center, there's 132 people there now. Um, I think that I don't, you know, my thoughts are, are not necessarily what the company's thoughts are. And I, I think, you know, for better or worse, people might conflate the two. So I don't think I should say a lot of my actual thoughts in public. Um, <laughs> seriously. Um, whereas I think these people should, because they're kind of independence. So Sam Harris, you know, he's not got a company of 132 people, but if he said something, might mean that the company doesn't exist anymore, you know? Um, so <laughs> it's, it's really important that we have these voices. And so I don't agree with you know, all they say, um, but the point is that they're saying something and I think we need people like that and that if they don't have a livelihood, they can't. And so mm. that's why I am trying to support them. Yeah, so um, in, in, a, in a number of their public talks, um, like one where they had uh, Brett Weinstein, um, curate this discussion for them. Uh, he said at the very beginning, um, please, we do not want anyone filming these discussions because the ideas that our speakers are going to express are not fully formed. And I think that kind of goes to this, this, uh, to this bigger idea that even when you've got highly intelligent, uh, influential people like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, the idea of having a conversation is not just so that they can express those ideas, but so that they can continue to explore them. And by continuing to explore ideas and bashing them up against each other, there's always a chance they're going to say something that doesn't come outright. I know I do that a lot. Um, so it's not just giving people a forum or the right to be able to express their, ide- their ideas, but also knowing that that ideas are going to come out wrong or they're going to come out and they're going to sound counterintuitive. But that's part of the process. 
And I think that's what's really, really powerful about people like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris is that they start off having ideas that would maybe be viewed as quite extreme or quite on the fringe. But the more they talk about it, the more they refine it themselves, the, the more, I guess, uh, digestible that message becomes. Yeah, take back to a point that I made earlier. I think it's even more than that, not just the ideas update. I don't believe most of what I say. It is <laughs> thought exploration. I'm not sure why you're laughing. At this. Like, and so, well, no, I'm laughing because what we originally um, laughed about, which is we don't believe our own thoughts, and now you're saying you don't believe what you say. So I thought I'd, I'd draw a, a direct correlation there. Oh, so I literally said that exact thing, like, I don't know, in 15 minutes in this podcast, and I don't know why you're laughing now, but you didn't laugh then. Anyways, um, you, you should be ridding yourself of this. And so they'll be on some podcast, and then someone will just snip one sentence, and then they'll purport that so-and-so believes that. The vast majority of what I'm saying is just thought exploration, mm. Mm. and it's a constant evolution. Um, so... To me, I think we need to get out of, we've talked about this, you know, this, well, there is a right, there is a wrong, this is what I sort of believe, you know, um, changing your mind is bad, etc. And just get into, well, the goal is to constantly try to update how you think about ideas. Mm. And that part of updating it means exploring different parts of what it could be. So you're just discussing it. What about this? What about that? How about this? But maybe I try this on for size. Um, so to me, um, it's, it's crucial that mm. you and others do this with other people and that it's not, well, that doesn't agree with what you said three sentences ago. I, I know. I'm just trying to understand this whole thing more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like to introduce myself to um, new teams that I work with that I love conflict, but I don't like conflict of character because that turns into politics. Instead, what I love is a conflict of ideas because that's what breeds progress. And I know that's a long-winded out version of another quote that we've <laughs> that, um, we've shared earlier, but it gets back to this kind of, um, you know, to your point, Duncan. Like you don't believe what you say. Um, the way I look at it is, I don't tie my ideas to my identity. I let them have their own identity, and so I'll put an idea out there, and what I hope will happen is that other people will then stress test that idea, either with their own um, you know, thoughts on their own, um, you know, experiences or questions and critiques that they may have thought of that I didn't. And so by putting a thought out there, whether I believe it or not, if I don't tie my identity to it, then I can say, all right, now here is this idea and I want people to try and break it because the more stress testing it goes through, the stronger it actually becomes. And that might mean abandoning a whole chunk of it because it didn't you know, make it through, but then um, supplanting it with upgraded thinking that makes it stronger. Yeah, um, I would use a different word than conflict. Um, so I talk about negative sum, zero sum, positive sum discussions. Um, and so you want to have positive sum discussions, which is where you're energized at the end. This doesn't mean that you agree. It doesn't mean that you come to a landing where you're both on the same page. Mm. It just means that you would go and have a discussion with that person again. You don't yeah. learn from people yeah. who agree with you. So to me, conflict is a very negative sum word. Um, so I say there's debate, negative sum, discussion, zero sum, and discourse, positive sum. So we're trying to have discourse. We're not having a debate. And I think you see a lot of people on TV, uh, you know, politicians or whatever, having debate. It's like one side versus the other and trying to catch the other person out and someone crowned victor. Um, and so the word I use for when we're having good discussions is also interthinking. So it's, it's discourse, but interthinking is where you are thinking with minds together. You're, you're, and you're actually kind of like this sort of melding flow occurs. Um, so you're not agreeing necessarily, but you're saying something which is helping somebody understand something in a way which broadens their mind and is energizing. So conflict to me, I would say not, I don't love conflicts because the word is so laden with such negativity and such negative sum, in my opinion, mean. I like interthinking, which is where others are mutually helping each other improve their understanding of something, and that we want to have discourse, which is a positive sum interaction, which you look forward to, uh, which you enjoyed, and therefore you look forward to speak to that person again. Mm. So e even now, just the, 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 the baggage that comes with a word and how that can actually affect somebody's own particular 
um, notion of the value that's behind it can affect the way in which we approach these ideas. Like I, you know, I appreciate the sentiment, Duncan, that saying something like conflict comes with it some negative connotation, and how, you know, there's this like it, here we go. So um, it's kind of the message, and then there's the messaging, right? Mm. So the, the message we're trying to convey here could be that we want to create an environment where it's safe for people to express. Um, differing um, views in order to get as close as possible to the best possible outcome. Um, and so the way in which we do that is we use certain um, messaging. And in my case, I say something like, well, I like a conflict of ideas where that might actually, you know, you can, I can see how that would be construed as negative sum mm. because in a conflict, there is a victor and there is a, um, there is the non-victor. <laughs> Loser! <laughs> <laughs> I have the best words. I have the best uh, words. Well, we have to do. It's, it's our last day of work for the holidays. Brain is not functioning. <laughs> what is it? Jimmy, no brain. Um, good. Good. <laughs> no brain, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I definitely um, you know, appreciate the sentiment. Um, I've never heard of the word interthinking before. I'm going to try and throw it out there next time and see what people think of that word. Mm. <laughs> um, but I think it's... It, I, I, so, so, so to me, I think the most important takeaway from the mute button, which is kind of a, um, a red herring of what this article is really about. For me, this article is really about the power of free speech. So the power of free speech is, um, you know, at its core, the way I um, understand it anyway, is that by allowing, you know, with exceptions, obviously, but allowing people the freedom to express their ideas is how we're going to move through the world in order for us to be able to evolve. Yeah. Um, so I think it's not just free speech. Um, I think that you should have this, but there's certain things that shouldn't happen. So, for instance, if you're lying about somebody and publicly tarnishing their name by saying something that's not true, etc. You know, hate speech and so on. But yeah. how you go about it. And so this is one of the things that you should see on there. I didn't used to think um, very carefully about the word choice that I had. I was trying to just think, so if there's your message and your messaging, I was like 90% of my effort was on the message, not the messaging. Mm. And this was meaning that I chose words which in hindsight could often do myself a massive disservice. So I fundamentally think that the word conflict is probably doing you a disservice. <laughs> and I think that you should stop <laughs> using it. And that something like interthinking or you go debate, discussion, discourse. We want to have discourse. And they're like, ah, cool. And this is sort of changing. And so I think that on top of this, you have people like Trump who use very combative words. So this is one of these here. It's like, I'm right and they are wrong and evil. Or I'm right and they are wrong and stupid. Or I'm right and they are wrong. Or I'm right, but let's listen to them all the same. Or I realize that my current view is just that, a current view that needs updating. Speaking to others done well to update my view is good. You know, I'm you know, right, but I'm going to try and understand their view and justifications. Yeah. And so for me, what is really interesting is that you need to go into speaking to somebody with a different point of view in a way that is not demeaning or them or seeming like you are right. And so they therefore are going to be open to want to change their mind. So you need to have a tone and you need to have a choice of words that is going to be welcoming and hopefully helping them gracefully change their mind whilst also realizing that it might be you that needs to change your mind. Mm. And so this dichotomy of like, well, I think I've got this view and I think yours is different and I think I'm going to try to explain to you why I think my perspective makes sense, but also I'm the one who might not make sense. This, <laughs> this, this um, word choice is extraordinarily difficult. Um, and I think as an example, Jordan Peterson is very bright, but he has a very combative choice of words that do him unnecessary um, harm. And I think all else equal, I probably agree with three quarters of what he says, but I don't think, I think he will have people offside and it'll turn into a negative sum debate mm. instead of them trying to listen to what he says because he has some very combative word choices at times. And I know that I believe... I have done myself a disservice and I'm like, idiot, Duncan, you know, yeah. you, you know, you, you really just didn't help at all <laughs> here. So <laughs> I think word choice is, is extraordinarily important. Yeah. And I, I think it was 90-10 and now it's like 50-50 about where I'm at yeah. with the two message messaging. Yeah, I, I think um, in fairness, and this is just my opinion, um, I think Jordan Peterson's got a lot better at it, at least over the last year. Like um, to your point, Duncan, when he first came out onto the, um, the mainstream, 
uh, with his ideas around free speech or compelled speech at the time. Um, he was, yeah, a lot more combative. And when he would go on other debates about more conservative versus progressive ideas, um, it was in a very similar vein. But I, I think what I've witnessed is much more of an evolution of Jordan Peterson, where he's now a lot more considered in his approach towards how he expresses his particular views. So I, um, I, I, and I, I do appreciate you using him as an example because I think he is the flag bearer on someone who has an incredibly important message to share but has not in at least the early stages done himself as much of a service as possible by having the right messaging because of that more like combative nature that he's espoused during those particular um, periods of time. Mm. Um, James, we're rambling up to an hour, so I think I'm going to just jump into summary. How does this happen? (laughs) Well, this is one of the fun things. Um, It used to be that when I caught up with people like James, I might have not seen him for a week and I might have three things I wanted to talk to him about. And that each new thing that led to like maybe say half a new idea. So I talked to him about one thing and then that one idea got half a new idea. And so we had one out of things to say. And so there'd be some point half an hour to two hours in where I'd be like, uh, nothing else to say. But as I've learned more about the world, and I think I think in a better way, now each thing that I talk to James about as an example leads to like 1.1 new things. So the conversation only gets better. It's not at the end of this now I've run out of talking about this like, you know, the mute button, we've got more ideas. Like, I've literally been writing down things I want to say the whole time through this, and I have more ideas of things I want to talk about this than I had at the start. So this is beautiful. This is why I think our friendship has gotten better and better. Um, It used to be just hang out and have a laugh and don't be lonely. But now it's learn and laugh. Um, And that each each conversation is better than the last because we're helping each other grow. So this is kind of loyal opposition, if you want to call it that. It's idea development. Uh, it, it's beautiful. So I think James and I used to, when we were 20, have verbal battles, literally just about, we didn't know anything. <laughs> well, I, you know, and we were talking about something we didn't know. And at the end of it, someone would somehow have tried to wrap the other one up in some argument and therefore yep. be crowned. And it was just, I would call it mental jousting. Um, oh, yeah. And it was just like, I think a bit of fun um, because at the end of it, we didn't hate each other. But it's just like, I'm going to talk about a topic that I don't really know. And you're going to do the same thing and at the end of this somehow someone will be be the winner <laughs> and well we we would yeah. try to outsmart each other yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was there would be a definite victor and non-victor it was just straight off um you know piss contest um and <laughs> there, there, there wasn't I, I don't know apart from just perhaps logical thinking as in can you make something up on the spot um any real value to it and i'd argue that it was probably zero sum i kind of enjoyed it just because it was a bit of like a, a brain snack but i would hope that our conversations now are much more positive some and oh, that, well, at the end of this we're not like figured something out right? at the end of it it's just like i know that i don't know <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's pretty clear um yeah. and so yeah so my summary basically is ideas will always be able to be updated you want to have as many different people around you as possible helping you do this you want to do it in a positive some way which means that you're not yelling it screaming at each other etc um you also want to try to understand that you're going to move the game forward somewhere. Uh, and so I hope to be able to contribute to humanity and to make it better in certain places. Um, but that means I've got to learn what others have done there first because I won't be contributing if I'm just reinventing the wheel. Um, so for me, I kind of think that James and I, I believe, have loyal opposition with each other and will call each other out. And I know that if I speak to him, I'm going to get his view and that I'm not at the end of this going to feel like he thinks I'm right or wrong or I think he's right or wrong. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Hopefully, I know a bit more than I did at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for me, this has also been a, a an evolving uh, process, like this last hour, even in particular. So, um, from a summary standpoint, where we started was you have arguably what can be considered as facts, and you have ideas. Um, and for me personally, the biggest revelation is that ideas are not necessarily binary; they exist along a spectrum. And if you get enough people together, you will find that every individual's opinion of that idea could be distributed along that spectrum. And if we had enough people, you would find what would what would what can generally be an even distribution. Where we get really interesting is how does the speech curve, which is basically the the how do these ideas get 
communicate it in a large group or in, uh, you know, when you're dealing with something the size of a country. And how are they controlled? In a power game, when you had dictators, they would control the speech curve that would move the, um, the whatever window, I've forgotten it already. Um, the Oberton window toward what they wanted um, people to think. Yeah. But in a much more free society, where you have something like free speech as a foundation, what we, and done well, we could have a society where ideas that may start out as fringe or extreme can be put out there, can be, can, can be discoursed, <laughs> and if they hold up, they can start to become more and more part of the mainstream, shifting the overall um, speak, uh, thought curve towards um, this idea. And this is, to me, how we make progress. We have an open society where people share their ideas freely. Not often will they be properly or fully formed. In fact, sometimes you might um, you know, have ideas that seem outright outlandish. But that's the part of the process. If through this process, do we refine them? Do we build on them? Do we get a better understanding ourselves? Like, you know, Duncan will always say, like, writing is a form of thinking because it forces you to be precise with your thoughts. So is conversation. Like, you can have them in your head in this gray space where you haven't actually articulated it, but not until you actually discuss them with someone else or a group of people do you actually know what they are. And so the last point is, um, for me anyway, I do not tie my identity to these ideas. I want these ideas to have a life of their own because I want to be the beneficiary of the idea. I want it to go out there, strengthen it, so that I can then level my own thinking up. And so if we can do this on an individual level to a collective, to a societal level, this is how I think a well-functioning society can move forward. All right, wonderful, James. Um, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. All right, Duncan, have a Merry Christmas. Cheers, dude. Bye.